you have your Bibles, turn in them to uh, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking at Matthew 7, reading the first six verses, but we're going to focus today on verses 3 to 5. So Matthew 7, verses 1 to 6. Friends, listen. This is the Word of God. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is God's Word. So as we began to see two weeks ago, Jesus in this new section is teaching us how to use the authority or the influence that we have. Actually, what he's doing is he's warning us against a misuse of our influence. And underneath this is this understanding that when you claim to be a Christian, Jesus knows if you live by the blessings of God, if you're experiencing God in your life, you're going to be an influence on others. And so Jesus also knows that when you claim to be a Christian, your life becomes a statement. Your life becomes a statement about God, about yourself, about Jesus, And so Jesus is warning us against misusing the influence uh, that we have. And uh, so two weeks ago, we saw just this how to use your influence or how to use your authority. We saw Jesus say, don't judge others as though you are God. This is sort of step one in the process of how do you use the influence. First is don't judge others as though you're God. And to this, Jesus is speaking against people because sometimes we get on our high horse and we begin to judge other people as though we're God. We judge their hearts, their motives, and the key to not doing that is to ask until you understand. So you remember the, the, the relationship-saving question? Or is, is, can you help me understand? Can you help me understand what you said? Can you help me understand why you did what you did? We saw that a couple weeks ago. Well, today, we're going to look at Jesus' second warning in using your influence. And pretty simply put, he just says, don't be a hypocrite. This is verses 3 to 5. In verse 5, he actually uses the term hypocrite. He's saying, don't be this way. Don't be this way. And so, I want to start just with a definition. So what is a hypocrite? How would you define it? Um, A hypocrite is just simply someone who has a double standard. Someone who operates a double standard. So this could be someone who acts in contradiction with his stated beliefs or feelings. Or, which is more sort of frustrating, is someone who imposes a standard on others that they don't follow themselves. So someone who imposes a standard on others that they don't follow themselves. And I think Jesus' image here, if you you can't remember, you don't even need to remember really what a definition of hypocrite is. You just need to know the, the image Jesus uses. In verse 3, right? He says, Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log 
that is in your own. And so it's like this. <clears throat> hey, Gary, Gary, you know, I got a problem with you, Gary. You know what my problem is? My problem is you have this speck in your eye and it's really annoying me. It is so frustrating. And, right? I mean, this is what Jesus is saying. I'm getting on Gary because of the speck in his eye, and yet, look, here I am, right? I mean, the image, it's, it's priceless. G- Jesus is prone to hyperbole, exaggerated language. It's a really good example of that. Um, pretty simple. You never forget it. It's amazing. That's the word of Jesus. And this is actually one of the biggest problems that people have with Christianity. People that walk around like this, that do this. And it's not just non-Christians that have this problem, but Christians have the same problem with Christianity that non-Christians do. Nobody likes a hypocrite. Everyone sees that this problem exists in the church. Um, And the point really isn't to kind of argue over like who the biggest hypocrites are, but it's it's to look at the words of Jesus. We want to see how Jesus addresses this because in Jesus' teaching, he gives us the key to solving this problem in our lives. Okay? And so we want to walk through Jesus' words in these, really these three verses, verses 3, 4, and 5, so that we can grow and become less guilty of this kind of hypocrisy. Okay? Because what we're going to see is that when we have Jesus' perspective, when we follow Jesus, we're actually going to be able to use our influence instead of irritating people, our influence can become a source of blessing. We can actually help people experience Jesus through the things that we say and do. That's our goal. That's our goal. And so Jesus starts in verse 3 in addressing this kind of thing by first just asking, verse 3, he's basically saying, why do you do this? Why do you do this? Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye but don't notice the log in your own eye? Now, most people hear this verse and they think, well, sure, that's wrong, but I'm not guilty of this. And that's the problem. Right? If we knew there was a log sticking out of our eye, we would see it and we'd deal with it. But we don't. We don't. Now, there's some of you um, who you hear this word and you're immediately thinking of specific things in your life. There's stuff that comes to your mind right away. There's something that you have done or that you do that you're hiding. Um, There's an inconsistency in the way that you act. And if you're in that place, let me just say, you're on the road to recovery. Whether you're a Christian or not, if you see it already, you're in a good place. You're in a good place. And I want to take a minute before I talk to you to try to get everybody else in the room with you. Okay? Um, I think we maintain this double standard of hypocrisy really in two ways. Um, The double standard of hypocrisy really in how we act and then in how we treat others. So if you want to try to find the hypocrisy that may be in your life, it's in how you act and then how you treat others. Because there are things that are in our lives that we're ashamed of. And we hide those things. And it's not that Jesus wants us to completely broadcast every bad thing that we do to everybody in the world, okay? That's not what Jesus is saying, but what can happen is we end up living, acting, and talking as though there aren't things about us that we're ashamed of. 
that make sense? This is hypocrisy. It's the double standard when we're not honest about our struggles. Um, and, and it's interesting, we replaced two six-by-six six posts that are 10 feet tall that hold up the back side of my upstairs at our house, and we had to replace them because the bottoms of these posts were completely rotted. They were completely rotten, and that's what happens. This kind of hypocrisy, when we are hiding, when we live as though we aren't hiding something, when we aren't honest at least about the reality that we have real struggle, um, it rots our hearts from the inside. It eats away the inside when we live this kind of hidden life. And then it actually affects how we treat other people. Because when we treat other people like we don't understand, or we can't identify with their struggles, that we're not just the same, then the rot becomes a cancer that spreads. And so let me just give us some examples. Um, Jim mentioned politics, and I think it's probably a really good place for us to see where hypocrisy is not only prevalent, but it's, it's endorsed. It's endorsed. I mean, think about this. Um, let's just say, for example, that you are either a Republican or a Democrat. Okay, you've picked one of the big parties, and someone asks you, hey, tell me about your political party. Your response, probably is going to be that what you think is best about your party. Right? Oh, my party does this, this, and this, and this is what they stand for, and this is what's amazing and awesome about them. And then that person would ask you, okay, well, tell me about the other party. And you then proceed to share with them what you think is the worst part of the other party, no matter what it is. And then they ask, oh, well, okay, then, now tell me what's wrong with your party. And maybe you'd know, maybe you'd say, well, there's nothing wrong with my party. Um, and they might ask you about something specific, and your response might be, oh, wait, wait, no, no, no. You need to understand these things in context. There's a wider context in which these things that you bring up as problems fit in. But overall, like, this is really amazing and awesome, and I'm so glad to be a part of this party. It's a double standard. Right? And it's an almost a universal hypocrisy that's accepted and propagated in our country. You can't get on the radio, I don't think, unless you do this. You can't become famous unless you do this. Because so much of what garners, I mean, the reason why people do it is because, I mean, they want to be right, they want to seem smart, they want to have answers, they want to be on the victorious side. And for all of these reasons, they become hypocrites. And the log goes into their eye. Seeing your, seeing your party in its best possible light while ignoring or explaining away your party's weaknesses, while seeing the other party in its worst possible light, ignoring or hiding the other party's strengths, is a double standard. And Jesus is here this morning saying, why would you do this? Like, why would you do this? This is big and practical. <laughs> Let me just say, okay? Over the next, I don't know, what do we got, two months or less? I mean, you're going to get opportunities to 
continue to, pro to propagate the hypocrisy in our political culture. Um, but Jesus is going to invite you to a better way. Now, outside of politics, I think another really good example is, is parenting. Okay, parents. And uh, if you're not a parent, then this, what I'm going to say, does apply to all kinds of other relationships. Applies to spouses, applies to dating, it applies to relationships in the workplace. But parents often impose a different standard on their children than they live themselves. Okay, they restrict things that they do, and sometimes there's age appropriate. I mean, there's qualifications, and I get that, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Um, sometimes, though, what's even worse is that parents, and I struggle with this, parents act like it's not a struggle to obey. Parents act like it's not a struggle to work hard. Like, it should be easy. Come on, what's wrong with you? Right? They act like it's not a struggle to clean up. You know, and yet their little corner of the bathroom, right, is the way it is. They act like it's not a struggle to stay pure sexually. If you have grown kids, sometimes you can act like it's easy to parent. Well, it wasn't that way when I was your age. Right? We never struggled with that hidden message, so what's wrong with you? And it's, I think it's a particularly awful kind of hypocrisy, primarily because children will struggle usually with the same sins as their parents. This is how life works. Sometimes the kids will grow up just with the same kind of proclivities. It's like a nature thing. They're just prone to the same kinds of sins that their parents have committed. I get really frustrated and re-angry at myself and sad about myself when I see my kids struggle with sins that I struggle with. Because I think, man, I did this to you. Like, I did this to you. Sometimes it's because parents inadvertently sort of nurture an environment that causes their kids to sin in the same way. Um, and I'm not saying that the sole responsibility of every sin a child commits is its parent. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that, uh, that parents are integrally part of the struggle that their children have. And then to act like it's not a struggle. To act like you don't understand the struggle. Jesus just says, man, why would you do this? Like, why would you do this? So I'm convicted too. I mean, this is hard. Hypocrisy is more prevalent, I think, than we initially want to say. Um, sometimes I kind of wish that there was a log that would go in that I could see. But this is one of the reasons we read the Bible, right? It's one of the reasons we preach through the Bible, so we can hear Jesus address us where we are. Because we know, I mean, Jesus makes it safe. We know that there's good news coming. Right, there is a solution. But before we get to the solution, Jesus has one more thing to say in verse 4. Um, so not why do you do this, but Jesus says, how can you do this? Not in a how dare you kind of way, but in what Jesus is saying in verse 4 
He says, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? And the idea here that Jesus is saying is like, folks, it doesn't work. You know, so if this is me, I can't even get close enough to Gary to reach the speck that's in his eye, right? Not without poking him. I could do this really awkward sort of thing where I'm, you know, but that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, how can you do, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not possible. Jesus is saying, you're not going to be able to help somebody in this way, if that's in fact your goal. This kind of hypocrisy, judgmental hypocrisy, usually what's underneath it is it's, it's, there's an issue of control. Usually that's what motivates this. It's a need or a desire for control or, or for manipulation. That's usually why we do it. You might want to control other people's perceptions of you. Um, or maybe you want to control other people's behaviors. Like this happens with our kids. You know, well, no, it shouldn't be that hard. Come on, just go do it. Right? I'm afraid if I don't just put my foot down and make you do this, then you're not going to do it. If I don't try to make it sound like it's super easy, then maybe I'm going to enable you to struggle even more than you normally would. Right? These are the fears that come up. And Jesus is like, man, this is not going to work. I mean, in politics, we tend to act the way we do because we want to control how somebody else votes. Or because we want to be on the winning side. Or because we want to feel like we have all the answers. Or we want to feel like we don't want to have brought up an issue that we don't know how to address. Right? These are the motivations that go on inside of us. And Jesus says, like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But it's this need to control that causes the blindness. You know, it's this, oh man, I've got to make this happen because if it doesn't, then I'm afraid that you, know, you fill in the blank. And that's, it's that need to control the situation that causes this, you know, this thing. I mean, this ridiculous thing to happen. It's like, well, how can anybody ever get that way? Well, it's because we have this need to control. And it's interesting because part of the reason it doesn't work is because your sin is so obvious to people. And you think, wait a second, my sin's not that obvious. That's the problem. <laughs> it's that everybody else can see it, but you can't. Everyone else can see it. And sometimes it's not even something they can see, but there's a feel, there's a sense that people get where they just have the sense that you're judging them. They have a sense that you're treating them like they're not holy, and you're not that much holier. At least you don't feel that way. Um, but in any way, you don't feel safe. And so friends will just sort of wall off. Okay, I'm not going to talk to you about this anymore. Um, kids will say, you know what, I, it's really clear to me that I can't talk to my parents. I'm going to talk to someone else. So what's the solution? I mean, what do we do about this? Good news, Jesus tells us exactly how to solve this in our lives. It's in verse 5. Verse 5. Jesus says, here's how to do this. Verse 5, Jesus starts by saying, you hypocrite. So I'm going to give you three steps, okay? Three steps. I want to write these down. First, admit that you've been a hypocrite. That's what Jesus says. He just says, you hypocrite. And in this, 
He's coming after you. He's getting in your kitchen. He's calling you a name. And if he's right, it's okay. But the issue here is that it starts with admitting the problem. You need to confess that you've been a hypocrite. Because when you do that, it will change everything. Okay, it will change everything. If you can just admit, I've been hypocritical in this area. I've been a hypocrite in this relationship. At work, in my marriage, uh, with my neighbors. I've been a hypocrite. So the first thing is admit that you've been a hypocrite. Second is to confess your log. Confess your log. So Jesus says, first, take the log out of your own eye. Take the log out of your own eye. And the way to do that is by confessing it. You confess it to Jesus. You ask him to forgive you. You ask him to forgive you and then to give you what you need so that you can be freed from it. You go to Jesus. Jesus promises that he will work in your heart. He'll work in your life. What's amazing about Jesus is that um, because if you're like me, you might be thinking, wait a minute, does that mean that I actually, you know, if this is my sin here, does that mean like I have to like get rid of this and completely stop sinning before I do anything else? The answer is no. And the answer is no because you stopping sinning is probably not exactly what the other person needs. Are you with me? You not sinning is probably not what they need. Probably what they need is to hear that there is a God who is gracious and forgiving. There is a God who loves them in the midst of their struggle. And so when you confess your sin, when you confess to Jesus and you give him your heart and your life, you say, Jesus, I am sorry. I'm sorry that I do this. I'm sorry that I've done this. I'm sorry that I've been a hypocrite about it to other people. Jesus, I have hidden my struggle. I've acted like I don't struggle. I've been harsh with people who do struggle in this way in some crazy, broken, awful way of trying to compensate for what I'm lacking inside. When you do that, the log comes out. You confess your log and it comes out. And then the third thing that you do, what Jesus says here, is that you then go to your brother or your sister with your log in your hand. So when the log comes out of your eye, You want to hold it in your hand, and you want to go to your brother or your sister with the log in your hand. What do I mean by that? Gary, I want to talk to you about something, Um, but first I want to show you something. This is a log that I have been carrying around in my eye for far too long. 
And this log represents sin that I've been committing and hiding. And I have judged other people. I've been a hypocrite with this sin. And I've repented. I've asked Jesus to forgive me, and by his grace, he did. And I'm really sorry. I'm sorry for the way I've acted. I'm sorry that this has been a part of me. And Jesus has forgiven me, and I love him for it. Um, there's something that I want to talk to you about. Uh, there's an area that I've seen in your life that is similar to this, and I don't want to have happened to you what's happened to me. And so can we talk about this? Can you help me understand what you've been thinking as you've done this? Because I think you and I might be alike in this, but I want to make sure I understand. Make sense? If you go with the log in your hand, it changes everything about what you say, about who you think you are, about who you're going to. Because it's interesting, Jesus actually does want you to help your brother. He wants you to go to your brother or your sister if they are struggling with something. He wants you, because you might actually be the perfect person to help them if you can go to them like this. So you'd admit you're a hypocrite, you confess your log, and then you go with your log in your hand. This is what Jesus is aiming for for us. When we do this, like the most powerful part of this, and it's really the key to not being a hypocrite. So going back to this, the key to not being a hypocrite is to identify with others. To identify with others. That's the key. That's the key. Because that's what I'm doing. As far as I'm concerned, if there's any difference between Gary and me, it's that I've got a worse problem than he does. Because I've been a hypocrite. Or I've got a problem that is sufficiently bad enough for me to go in complete humility without any shred of arrogance or judgment or holier than thou. I want to identify. I want to identify. Now, if you're thinking of someone and you feel like, well, I don't know how to identify with them. Like, I don't know how to identify with their situation. Then you see to go back up here to step one. Ask until you understand. If you don't understand their sin, if you don't understand what their struggle is, if you don't understand why they're doing what they're doing, then ask. I mean, I even threw that in with Gary, right? I, 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 there's something I want to talk to you about, but I want to make sure I understand, so could you please help me? And you keep under, you, you listen and listen until you feel like you can say, oh, okay, I can relate. I may not sin in the exact same way that you do, but I can relate to being a sinner. I can relate to being broken in other areas that seem just as bad to me. 
are bad enough to where I can understand where you're coming from. It's when we identify with people, that's when Jesus uses us to get the speck out of their eye. There is a time to confront. There is a time to, to come alongside somebody. But if your motivation is control, if your motivation is to justify yourself, that doesn't work. If your motivation is to come alongside somebody and in love help them experience Jesus, he will meet you there. And you'll be amazed and blown away by how he uses you. What's brilliant about this is that like this then puts us at the feet of Jesus. Because this is exactly what Jesus has done for you. Right? We've all had specks in our eyes. We've all had logs in our eyes. And Jesus came to earth to identify with us. It says over and over and over again in the Gospels, people got mad at him for it. They said, this man eats with sinners. Jesus said, it's not the, it's not the, the well that need a physician, but the sick. And I've come not to call the righteous, I've come for sinners. And so Jesus looks into your eyes. Jesus knows all the sins that you commit. He understands the specks and the logs. He looks you in the eye and he just says, look, I know what you've done. I understand why you've done it. There are times when you've been motivated in good ways, times you've been motivated in bad ways. I know your sin. And let me say to you that your specks, your logs, have become, your specks and your logs have become the cross on which I died. I understand your temptation and I took the punishment that your sins deserve so that you could be forgiven. When Jesus does that for you, friends, that's where you go when you need help to love somebody who's got a speck in their eye. When you do this wrong, you need to go back to the cross and see it may be the part behind his left arm where your speck is. It may be the thing that's holding him up that is your log. But it's there. And Jesus died there for you so that you could be forgiven, so that he could save you from your sins. And that's, that is so much what we need, and it is so much what the people in our lives need. Will you bring it to them? Could you love them the way Jesus has loved you? This is how he wants you to use your influence. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we want to come now to you.
and I pray that you would help each one of us, every person in this room, whether they're Christians or not, whether they've had a relationship with you when they walked in this door or not, help us all to see you dying on the cross for our sins. Jesus, when we know this kind of love, it gives us freedom to be honest. Honest with you. Honest with each other. We don't have to pretend anymore. We thank you for that. That's what your grace does. Help us to see on the cross our own sins so that we might share the grace that we've received with others. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, just confess your sins to him and he will forgive you. He will forgive you. He'll look into your eyes and say, I understand and I died for you so that you could be forgiven. And he'll wash away your sins. Lord, we love you. Amen.